A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? This is actually a little bit of a different one. This is a panel Data Mesh Radio hosted in conjunction with the Data Mesh Learning Community. It's about data modeling in Data Mesh. So Juha Corpella, who is the Chief Product Officer at LE Technologies, facilitated this panel with two additional wonderful guests, Veronica Durgan, who's the head of data at SACS, and Kent Graziano, who's known as the Data Warrior. He was the former, he's the former chief technical evangelist at Snowflake. You've probably seen all three of these. They're very much online. So as someone without a ton of depth in the data modeling concepts in general, here are some of my key takeaways, not the guests. I didn't want to do that. So these should be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. And I decided you know, not to write up everybody else's. So I wanted to do kind of what I think I learned from this. So number one, start from the business concepts instead of the technical. This is kind of a data mesh theme. It's something that you should just immediately be hit with. Start from the business. Number two, focus on enabling people to do the data modeling instead of trying to do it centralized, but do have a centralized understanding. Do have you know, people that are focused on making sure that the different domains are actually communicating appropriately, understanding each other, things like that. You need kind of these data Sherpas. That's something I've been talking about a little bit, but you need data architects that may be embedded into the domains, may not be that are focused on enabling people, but you need people that are kind of focused on the higher picture, but that aren't doing the work because that becomes a centralized bottleneck. Number three, it's crucial to not only consider data modeling at a data product level, that's the route to data silos, right? This is again, that bigger picture. Number four, communication is the most important data modeling skill. Just that, just get that into your head. 
A lot of people really focus on the technical. It's communication first, focusing on what matters first. Number five, share early and often to get feedback and work together, you know, on that fast feedback cycle kind of style to quickly iterate. This is, again, yet another very, very common data mesh concept. Number six, limit your blast radius. Only bite off what you can chew and limit what can go sideways as you're early on with any data modeling aspect as you learn. You know, work to make sure you don't cause lots of downstream kind of carnage and damage as as you're learning and iterating and changing. This is, again, yet another (laughs) commonality through all of the data mesh conversation. Number seven, if you don't stay connected to each other and communicate well, you'll likely have master data management style nightmares in data mesh, right? You need to be communicating with each other. You need to figure out, hey, if we're going to answer this question, how are we actually going to answer this question instead of having a bunch of different perspectives that could make people confused? Number eight, centrally define the standards and rules and have a clear way to get help and settle questions and disputes. Again, this is that centralized team that is there to help and guide people, but not do the work. Number nine, starting data modeling from technical integration is about what can we do right now? What's the solution right now? How can we integrate these two things? Instead, we should focus on what we need to do to drive business value not what is possible based on the existing setup. So what do we need to change? How do we need to grow? How do we need to get to that value? Number 10, in data modeling, far too often, people don't look at what data consumers want. User requirements, business requirements, and technical requirements all must be met. Don't forget the user requirements. Number 11, everyone needs, not everyone needs to be a data modeler, right? but everyone should understand how information is communicated internally via a data model. Like how is data modeling actually done and what's the point of it and how does that work? Number 12, the Alla Hale method from episode 122. Show up to every meeting with something to discuss. Don't show up to the first meeting with something built, but constantly show something to get feedback on. Make the intangible and, you know, kind of these business concepts type of thing tangible. Is this what you mean? Is this what you're trying to do? Number 13, shared understanding is crucial and can only be reached via strong communication. Stop trying to shy away from communication. Number 14, make the implicit explicit. You know, what do you mean by that is one of your most crucial tools to doing data modeling well. I think you'll learn a lot from this. I I sure did. Um, I think we still have a ton, ton, ton of open questions relative to how do we really do data modeling really well in data mesh. But I think this gets you headed down a great path. Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves.
right. Hello all. Um, I'm Juha Korpala from Ali Technologies, uh, hailing from uh, snowy Helsinki. Um, with me today, we've got uh, Veronika Durgin and Kent Graziano. Veronika, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Juha. Uh, can't pronounce your last name, not even going to try. Uh, so, uh, Veronica, very nice to see you all. Very nice to hang out with Juha and Kent. Um, so, introducing myself, I'm currently overseeing data at SACS. Um, I've been doing data for a while, and I guess um, sometimes I make uh, people solve the equation for X to figure out how long I've been doing this, but I'll tell you. So, I started in 1999, and the only reason I say that is because I had the... Uh, joys of working through the Y2K bug fixing. Uh, at the time, I didn't really understand or really care why we were doing it, but it was fun. But I've been in data my entire career. I did a whole bunch of different things. I was a DBA, data architect, data analyst. Uh, so I have really a lot of appreciation of what's happening and kind of how we grew over the past two decades. And how about you, Kent? Hey, uh, so this is Kent Graziano, the data warrior. Um, happy to be here on this uh, discussion today with my friends Juha and uh, Veronica. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll go crazy on this uh, whole conversation we're about to have. Uh, we can we can get pretty geeky on our our conversations for sure. So uh, get get ready for it. So I've I've been in data for. A very very long time. Uh, I was the chief technical evangelist at Snowflake for a little over six years. I retired from there uh, a year ago. Um, I'm now, you know, just doing a little advising on the side with uh, some Snowflake customers and uh, in the Data Vault space. I've been a, uh, I'm a a Data Vault master, so I really say I've been a a Data Vault evangelist since. You know, basically, it started back in the early 2000s. Um, I was a data modeler long before that. I've been doing data modeling since, oh, geez, the late 80s, I guess. Um, so been through a lot of different iterations on data modeling and seen a lot of changes in our industry over that time. So um, really excited to have our, our conversation today here on the, the Data Mesh community about what's going on these days and, and where data modeling fits in. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Ken. And that's the kind of segue to our topic today, which is data modeling. And uh, I think it's a topic that doesn't get covered too much in this data mesh context. So uh, I'm quite interested in uh, what sorts of um, rabbit holes we find to dig ourselves into. But uh, this is kind of the overall idea here that we would discuss uh, what data modeling kind of now means in this context. Maybe what has changed, what hasn't changed, which is also interesting, and and how data modeling as kind of an activity and uh, approach to things really fits in with the idea of, of decentralization and, and federated things and data uh, domains and so on and so forth. So uh, quite, quite eagerly waiting for uh, the uh, interesting results of this discussion. Uh, to get us started now, Veronica and Kent, I think uh, one of the kind of important uh, things we have to get straight like right away first is that the fact that um, data model is, is kind of considered uh, an engineering activity in, in much of the discussion relating to data mesh. I mean, uh, you, you probably read Zamak's book and whatnot, and uh, it doesn't mention data modeling too many times at all, I think. But uh, I think uh, what we need to start with is kind of figuring out um, 
some basics. Uh, we we do have modeling on different levels, right? So we are, we also need to cover kind of both the kind of macro level of of what data model modeling is in the data mesh in the grand scheme of things, and then the kind of micro level of how to do modeling uh, best in those domains and and uh, um, in a more kind of engineering way. So so uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I saw Ken that this you. Uh, had a little laugh there, as I mentioned, that this is more mainly considered as an engineering thing nowadays. Yeah, uh, and I guess that's probably one, one of the, the trends because it, it tends to, the term gets used in the data engineering space a little bit. And this is the, one of those classic, I don't think that word means what you think it means uh, when people are using using that. Because, you know, yes, there are certainly engineering aspects to, to data modeling and there is... Um, we'll say, I guess, really physical data modeling that uh, applies more at the engineering level. But, you know, as you all know, Juha, it's it's way beyond that. It is, you know, done properly. It should be done with a business perspective. And that's kind of, like you said, the macro level. Uh, when I started out in uh, modeling doing, you know, what we used to call entity relationship modeling, you know, it was business focused. Uh, and, you know, I've never gotten away from that in, in my career. I mean, it's always, you know, there's, you have to start with a business focus. And even in the data mesh world, the data mesh world is business focused, right? It's, you were talking about delivering value to the business from data domain teams. And those domain teams are uh, organized around business domains that happen to be responsible for data in the organization, right? Um, so I think that's, you know, one of the first misnomers and first uh, maybe misconceptions is that it's just an engineering thing. It's like, oh, yeah, you can just let the, the DBAs, the database people, they, they, can, they can figure that out. And that's really a, a very short-sighted view uh, on data modeling that it is, uh, it is broader than that. It has to come from a, a business focus if we're really going to be building, you know, a data mesh, right? Where we're going to have uh, interoperability between the different domains. In order to do that, you've got to have a way of communicating between those domains. And we have to agree on what we mean by the things that we're talking about. And that's where the data modeling really comes in. Um, it's it's uh, a question that has come up. Uh, and I think even talk, I've talked to other people about this before in the past. When I, I first started at Snowflake, the questions I would get is like, well, how do we, do we need to model differently for the cloud? And it's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, well, is there something about the cloud that we should do the data models different? It's like different from what? Right. It's like, you know, there are, there's different ways of doing data modeling. You know, we can talk about all, you know, all around those, you know, the, the old third normal form relational modeling, um, there is, you know, some of the things people did in NoSQL world with, with JSON and documents. Um, there's the, the traditional, I'll say, data warehousing approach of dimensional modeling with star schemas. And then, of course, the, the data vault approach, which, you know, Veronica and I are like steeped in quite a bit. And that's just, that's just for starters, right? But I got to step back and go, well, we really need to be thinking again about this at a conceptual level, at a 
business level. And that's not, that's not an engineering thing. That is a, that's a business conversation on what is, what does this data mean? What does it mean to the business? Uh, what is, what's the definition? How are we going to agree on these things so that we can have this interoperability between these uh, domain data teams? You know, it's, we got to have a way to converse, right? And, and be in agreement and not be saying one thing and meaning something else. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think the, the core here is exactly that, that, you know, this is about those business domains. So so how do we figure out what is going on in those business domains unless we understand the data model on the level of the business? The uh, individual decisions of the kind of um, engineering projects within those domains are kind of a different topic, although, of course, those also need to be somehow derived from the uh, the kind of overall data model of what the domain is actually about. I, 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 um, you mentioned data vault there, and uh, I think Veronica, one thing that I might kind of point this question to you towards is, is um, in data vault world, we are kind of focusing on the business entities as the kind of very core of everything. We have the hubs and we have the links and everything. Everything is centered around those business entities and, and they have business keys and so on. And, and you guys are far better in data world than I am. But but I do like the approach uh, because it focuses on these business entities. So uh, how do you see the, the um, kind of semantic understanding of business in, uh, entities when we are talking about different domains? Uh, data vault approach, for example, uh, basically all the approaches uh, require somehow that we we have a common understanding of what a customer is or something like that. But now that we are talking about federated domains that might have a different understanding of that, uh, considering that especially data vault uh, forces us to focus on those core business entities, how do we find them when the domains are all different? That's a great question. And for full transparency, I, I'm not building, I don't have experience building data mesh. Uh, I, you know, I'm taking the best parts out of data mesh concept around data products, but um, I mean, businesses have core concepts. There is just, there aren't, you know, three definitions of customers. There's maybe some flavors of it, right? The, the important thing to me is actually defining those business keys because that's what's going to create that interoperability across domains. And and I love, I, I, I've said that before to Kent, um, I don't like data mesh definition. I like data marketplace because like, I, I absolutely love that terminology because to me, a marketplace, when you put something on marketplace, it has to be a product, right? It has to have a definition. You have to know exactly what you're getting. There's quality around it because you're not just going to go and get something, right? So to me, like that, that's what we're building. We're building something that has all of those those definitions around it and then it's easy like you can go and buy tires for your car anywhere because you know they'll fit right like they're defined they're the right size and you put them on your car and they work so to me that's kind of like how i think about it but customer is a bad example (laughs) because i don't think anybody ever can like really truly define their customers and and customers constantly change and evolve right businesses grow they change they explore different opportunities so let's not talk about customers no it's it's a good point i think uh, customers and products are the the single most difficult things to model in any organization Uh, oh yeah you gotta tell you about that i i did a master data model for hp back quite a long time ago, we had 500 entities by the time we were done to define the full breadth of what 
HP meant by a product. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I think this is uh, kind of an important point here, uh, and we aren't even very deep into what data modeling is and does. But but we're already at kind of a well a challenge, right? That uh, yes, we said that uh, data modeling has to start from the business. It has to be about the business entities, and and of course, you know, especially in the vault methodology, that's like the whole whole core of everything. But now we are already now here in a situation where we recognize that uh, we will not be getting kind of a clear understanding uh, that would be shared uh, by every domain of some of these core entities, what is a customer, what is what is a product, and so on and so forth. So we're always going to have this kind of a problem with the semantic interoperability, so to speak, that uh, do we really understand what the other domains are about? And I think data modeling is the best we have in attempting to get that sorted out, right? Yeah, and I, I think that that's you know part of this conversation too is back to similar to what I was saying before about the cloud is is the question being asked is well if we're doing data mesh do we need a data model and the answer is well yes but it's not necessarily one single data model each of the domains and needs to somehow be able to represent to the other domains what data they're looking at, what data they are putting into these data products. And in our terminology, we call that a data model, right? Uh, does it, you know, there's a lot of debate even, does it need to be visuals? Like, well, I'm a visual guy. I like seeing the diagram, right? Pretty pictures on the wall. That's, you know, a, a great communication mechanism. It doesn't have to be very technical. It doesn't have to have all the data types, uh, all of that, but it needs to have words that people understand so you can have that discussion. So the, you know, the customer domain and the finance domain can have a meeting about the interoperability of the data and the customer domain can throw up, you know, a picture, you know, here's the things, here's the data we have access to. Here's the data that we as data domain experts understand and that you're all looking to us to provide quality data in the form of a data product for you to consume. Well, here, here's what it looks like. And then the finance domain can, can show theirs as well. And then they can have that conversation. And if they both happen to have customer on their diagram, well, now they can that can facilitate a conversation about well, what do you mean by customer and what do you mean by customer? And you know who actually does own that data? who has access to that data, who should be stewarding that data and cleansing that data and productizing that data for the rest of the organization. Because in the, in the end, I mean, the, the, the conceptual data model, at least at the semantic level is just that it's a concept. It's not necessarily, we don't want to be down at the engineering level and saying, well, here's our 20 tables and here's our 40 tables. And, oh, we've got this data here and that data there. You might want to have that conversation a little earlier right? Before we do that, maybe we've onboarded the raw data and we can start looking at it from that perspective uh, as, a, as a domain team. But even being able to like reverse engineer that, you know, take the that raw data, whatever, whether it's flat files, JSON documents, um, or actual database tables and get it into some kind of a, a document, a diagram that can be easily shared. Then we can start having some conversations between the domains about who who really owns what? 
because data mesh does talk about governance. You know, we've got to have the governance in there, right? And the thing you don't want, absolutely don't want your data mesh to turn into disparate data silos where the same data is in two different or three different or five different places being brought in potentially from the same source and represented differently. And yeah, I don't know how you do that without having a model to look at and at least have a conversation about. Exactly. And I think, Veronica, you mentioned quality there. Uh, I think this is kind of a, an aspect of quality, really, that, that uh, in our data marketplace, we, we document what the products are about, right? And again, not, you know, kind of like bad-mouthing data mesh as, as a name. It just, to me, marketplace speaks <laughs> like there is a meaning to that word. But to what you said, Kent, definitions, plain word English definitions, it is incredible. You don't like integer strings. Nobody cares. Like, what does this feel like customer? You, you know, like I come into you with a customer and you come to me with a partner. Is it the same thing? Is it not the same thing? I wouldn't know if there isn't just a plain English definition or whatever language you speak, right? Like just words, use your words, like kind of going back to toddlers, right? Please use your words, explain yourself. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's criminally underrated, right? In this whole whole like data business, we're we're so keen on all these different file formats and whatnot, and and you know ELT pipelines and so on. And, you know, maybe some you know English words here and there would be pretty good occasionally as well. But but I think that also comes kind of down to the governance aspect. Can't uh, uh, you mentioned the governance and and it's kind of also part of the. Uh, you know, trustworthiness of the data marketplace, really. Is it, is it governed? Can we trust it that the data is what it's supposed to be and so on? But uh, there's, I think, also uh, something, some kind of an aspect of this governance which is uh, differently governed from all those technical details, like the mesh literature talks about APIs or whatnot that uh, enforce governance and so on. But now we're actually, what we're talking about here are things that are uh, related to people and uh, plain English language definitions of things and, and uh, your pretty diagrams on a wall and so on. So that's not necessarily as easy to fit into those kind of technically oriented governance schemes that we usually talk about or, or encounter when reading about data mesh. Um, I don't know how exactly that should be solved, but I kind of feel like uh, modeling is a topic to be covered somehow and the uh, even though the act of modeling might happen in the business domain itself, we have to kind of ensure that we're all modeling at least similarly enough that we can figure out what what's the overlap and what's the connection there. Which is, I think, where Data Vault comes in, right? <laughs> That's where you're going with. There you go. <laughs> well, oh. and, and even you know, talking with um, you know the folks at Roche who are at this point world renowned for for data mesh. Um, they settled on doing data vault. And one of the things that they, they talked about was, you know, they started off with one team and it was basically their core team as they're invest they were investigating data mesh. They had that conversation. It's like, if we're all going to be on the same page, we, we need to have some standards. And I've talked in the past with folks about having a center of excellence that basically helps set those standards. And that's like the, the top level of governance, you know, in a general sense is how are we going to communicate with each other you know who's allowed to do what who's allowed to change what and where 
Um, all those kinds of conversation, like as you said, Veronica, you, know, you have to use your words, but hopefully you, you, these things have to be written down somewhere. And it doesn't have to be, we don't spend months and months and months doing this. It's got to be you know, much quicker than that. I mean, that's kind of the point of data mesh is delivering value a little more quickly. But you know, how, how do you go about doing that? And the, the uh, Roche Diagnostics team decided, well, we're going to use Data Vault. Uh, because Data Vault is, hubs and links, as you mentioned before, are uh, really business focused. We're talking about the core business entities and the relationships between those entities. You know, and we can talk about that at a non-technical level using words that business people understand, because that's how you're going to validate that. And, we used to do that even, you know, way, way back when I first started doing, you know, serious data modeling, we, we would ask the business questions from the data model. Is it true that a customer can have one or more accounts? That's a yes or no question, right? You know, this, you hope it's a yes or no question. Of course, there's always that. It depends little aspect of it, but that's a different problem. Uh, and, and communicating with the business at that level rather than, okay, we've got a customer table and we've got an accounts table and we have a foreign key from customer to accounts. And, and now another like, what does that mean? Right? Right. There's a many-to-many -many relationship. It's a one-to-many, you know, no. Right? That is, that's the technical data modeling that, you know, somebody's going to have to do if they're building out a relational database. But the conversation can be at a higher level than that. And, you know, Again, Roche Diagnostics decided they were going to use Data Vault to do that because they could diagram it. You know, people didn't have to know it was a hub and a link, but they could see, okay, there's there there's customer, there's there's account, and there's this link between them, and they could have a conversation around that as to is this really the way the business operates? And then from there, they could then pass those as templates and then training and an approach two additional domain teams as they added more and more domain teams. And then everybody was, you know, as they say, on the same page and communicating in the same style with regard to what they mean by the data and how we represent the data. And, and again, you can do that. It's really technology agnostic, which to me, I think is part of the key. And especially in the data mesh world, right? Is we need, we need some ways of doing things that are not tied specifically to the technology we're using in a particular domain. And this is kind of data literacy, right? Like we all speak the same language. We talk about the same concepts. And one of the stories is we, we one of the companies I worked for, um, we started building Data Vault and we did the whole like just kind of like business focused data modeling. And what we realized is that the software had a massive gap. Because when business was describing a problem, they're like, oh, there's this relationship between this and that. And we're like, oh, not in our software, it's not. So there was a massive miss in the product where we wanted to deliver it in you know specific way, but we didn't because nobody went through that exercise of actually understanding what business is expecting and how it works in real life. So that's like such a great example of kind of like remove the tech, remove the platform, don't show up with SQL, don't show up with Python, just just talk and draw like on the whiteboard or a napkin or yeah, Ellie. 
<laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, thank you for that, Veronica. But uh, one thing I, I really loved both your comments there. I uh, one thing I want to kind of say here also is that uh, Veronica, as you mentioned, uh, you you spotted a gap or lots of gaps, I suppose, from your story in the data. And I think uh, if we approach data modeling kind of only from sort of bottom up from the data sources we already have at hand, we will never spot those gaps because the the whole universe only consists of what we have already. And especially now that in the mesh context, we should be oper- like closely operating together with the people responsible for the actual source systems as well. We should be in the same team in the domain and so on and so forth. So, so uh being able to understand that, hey, there's data needs that we're not covering at all is like super important. And I think this is this is also a kind of strong, strong argument uh, for doing kind of also top-down modeling. And and I, I just want to add also, Kent, to your comment on, on Data Vault and so that, that uh, I think regarding governance, uh, what's nice about Data Vault is that it's kind of a governed way of doing modeling, right? And uh, the point of governance, I think it was Donald Farmer that said this in, in a presentation some weeks ago, but uh, the point of governance is not to make the right decisions, it's to make decisions in the right way. And exactly in similar way, the uh, if if you choose a data modeling kind of data modeling language or a method or something, it's not about choosing the model itself. It's about choosing the way that you do modeling in a way that enables you to communicate with your other domains and so on and so forth. I I think uh, Zamak's book has a pretty clear line somewhere saying that uh, in a data mesh there is no centralized data model, which always kind of you know make me twitch twitch a little <laughs> but the, the point is is not that uh, you know of course there is no uh, data model there uh, in a physical sense perhaps but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to model practically the whole thing piece by piece and connect those pieces together on the level of the model yeah and my, my interpretation of that in particular is that when she says there's no centralized data model i mean that kind of the point of mesh is getting away from a single centralized team that could be a bottleneck. And, you know, I've been at this long enough that I've been at companies that spent multiple years working on their quote unquote enterprise data model and never built a table in the database because they spent years arguing about what these things meant and, and really not making any progress. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Now, while there may not be a centralized data model, I think conceptually though, there is an enterprise model. And if we're going to have an effective mesh, we need to understand the relationships between these different domains, which is the definition of a conceptual model. You know, Bill Inman talked about subject areas back in the early days, in the mid 90s, when we were first building data warehouses. He said, you know, don't do Big Bang. Well, right. Yeah, don't do it all at once do it subject area at a time. Well, what's a subject area? Well, when you start looking at subject areas, pretty close correspondence to what we now call domains today, right? You had finance and you had marketing and you had sales and you had product and manufacturing. These were the subject areas, right? And you build them out one bit at a time. And But overall, you still have to have that whole concept of how does sales relate to customers and to products and to manufacturing and to suppliers? And certainly we all know we need to understand supply chain better after the last couple of years. Uh, and, and you still have an enterprise view of the data. And that's what we call the enterprise model. It 
you know, arguably should not be built all at once and doesn't need to be built by a centralized team, but the teams need to be able to communicate. And I think, you know, in particular, that's where Data Vault is very, very strong with the, the, uh, the methodology that is used in Data Vault. And it's at such a low level of grain, the way we have these conversations with our, about the hubs and the links and being business key focused or business attribute focused is really what we're, we're saying there, that you can build a domain here and then build a domain there and then look at it and go, well, what's the relationship between those domains? Well, in data vault, that's called a link. That's a link object. And you can build those at any time, right? So you don't have to say, oh, well, we can't move on because we haven't figured out how this and this connect yet. Well, it doesn't matter, right? Right now, we're trying to deliver this data over here in this domain. We're trying to deliver this data over here in this domain. And if we've modeled it in a data vault method, uh, we can go back later and it's not re-engineering now. It's additional engineering. It's another iteration where we can figure out what the relationships are and where is that data? Which domain team owns that data about the relationship and add it in later in order to join them together and perhaps build a new data product that's around the relationship between these two business domains rather than the independent data that each domain covers. Yeah, and I think one of the kind of key things here is that uh, you know, what does decentralized mean, really, or actually centralized, if you consider you no know, centralized data model? Okay, but uh, we still kind of, as you said, we need the enterprise level understanding of what is, you know, what exists where and how things are linked. So does that just simply mean that we don't have a centralized team making it? It's the domains that are, are doing it by themselves, right? But they still have to have collaboration, which is another principle inside of uh, data mesh. And certainly in the, the data ops world, I'm spending a lot of time talking about data ops and the philosophy of true data ops. And collaboration is key. If we're going to build marketplaces, we'll use uh, Veronica's term there. I mean, if you're building a data product and you're going to put it in a marketplace, well, presumably there's somebody that wants to consume that data. And if there isn't, then you just wasted a whole bunch of time and money. So you have to have that communication again, external to the domain team to know, and, and this is clear, clear in the data mesh writings, is like you need to be building data products for the consumers of the data, right? And so you need to understand that and you, you've got to understand those relationships. And if they want to consume the data in order to... Uh, join it, for lack of a better term, to data they have in their domain, well, you kind of need to understand the relationship because if they need a particular attribute in order to be able to hook your data to their data, well, we call that a relationship. And you've got to know it's there because otherwise you build a data product that doesn't have the information they need to make it useful. So it all comes back to this with the, the, the modeling. And again, I think the, the data vault methodology in particular gives you a very precise and concise way of modeling that to make it easy so you're not re-engineering because that's something we want to avoid. You know, that's the thing that costs us money is, is building things and setting them in stone and going, oh, yeah, we forgot about that. And then having to redo a lot of work, a lot of code, a lot of design in order to fix that particular problem. 
uh, and many of the other modeling methodologies, there's significant overhead in what they call in the agile world technical debt that you get into is if you're using some of these other approaches and you find out a little later, you know, something changed, the source system, the source data changed, Business the requirement changed, from the customer right? changed. There's a lot more work. Business rule change, yes. Yeah, it, there's there's places where that becomes a, a, a bigger problem and more costly, even though you're not, you're doing it in a decentralized way, right? Um, and then on top of that, because we, we're trying to do this in a decentralized way to be more efficient, if you don't understand and account for the relationships between the domains, then you are going to build isolated data silos and you don't have a data mesh. You are just back to data silos, which is is one of the things we're, we're trying to avoid going forward. Veronica, uh, you mentioned uh, that that you are a data vault. Uh, you like data vault and, and you're doing data products. So, so uh, now that we are decentralizing the act of modeling itself, um, are we perhaps also decentralizing the actual storage of that data? So how do you deal with your data products? Do you uh, have all the products moder- uh, modeled separately in tiny silos, but interconnected? Or do they exist all together somewhere, somehow? So I haven't worked for a company large enough to truly do data mesh in the way that is described, truly like kind of like their own teams, you know, creating product, but I love a lot of concepts that are coming out of it, right? Like I love, you know, the the data product focus. I love putting engineers together with business. So they're collaborating and and learning to kind of like speak the same language. So we work in squads, agile, each team is focusing on specific area. We're putting everything into the same place, you know, I've, I love Snowflake also, so I've uh, been working with Snowflake for a few years. And it's Information Mart. Like we're delivering our product are delivered by Information Marts that have that kind of like marketplace quality, right? Like here's an object. This is what's in it. This is what is grain. These are all the fields that are in it. These are all, you know, business keys. And this is how you tie it across different um, um, Information Marts. And we collaborate. Right. So important. I mean, there's nothing worse than kind of like teams meeting together and realizing that we have three different hubs for the same thing, uh, which happens. But the, again, the cool thing about Data Vault is it's, it's, it's very easy to kind of like add, fix, remove. It, it, it's very additive in nature. You know, you have all of the data. You can reload it. We, we love it. We've, uh, you know, <laughs> refactored a few things in my few years of building Data Vault. So that's that's totally fine. But yeah, so again, I, I don't have experience building data mesh. I, I'll go into another rabbit hole. Growing up as a DBA and over the past two decades, uh, people telling that they're killing DBAs for many reasons. Look, relational data is going to die. Long live NoSQL. Uh, but the reality was that software engineers don't like data modeling. They don't get it. Like It's just not there. Like, they think differently, which I truly appreciate because it's not how I think. But they're like, oh, we're going to just put everything into. So to me, it's like kind of like that's what I'm afraid a lot of people are taking data meshes. Like I'm going to go into my own little silo. I'm going to do whatever I want. I think I can do better than a team that specializes in data. So that's kind of like my worry. I think data mesh has a lot of great things. It brings to light a lot of kind of like 
limitations that we experience if we have a centralized team. But at the same time, I think a lot of companies are taken as like, oh, cool, we're just going to break everything up. Everybody's going to go into their own little area, build their own little thing. And we still can't put it all together because the integration is is where the difficulty is. Yeah. And a, a, a subtext to there is your your domain teams need, if not a data modeler, a data modeling savvy engineer. That was actually my point also, Kent. I was just saying that that uh, <laughs> this 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 kind of brings up a very important thing, I think, which is kind of the people aspect, the competencies aspect. So, all right, we, we uh, decentralized, we set up domain teams and we have the uh, the uh, engineers working, you know, software engineers, we have the data engineers. Uh, we also expect them to do the modeling now because who else explains what the domain is about um, other than the people actually working in that domain. So they need to know data modeling as well. So who's going to be doing that? How do we ensure that we have enough competence in a large organization to to uh, to make that work actually? Can I just be like obvious here and realistic? Data modeling is hard. We're engineers, right? Like we all love to code. I, I, I know you guys, I love to code. This is difficult. Now you have to kind of like walk away from a keyboard and start talking to people, talking to people and, and trying to understand <sighs> industry that you might not, right? Uh, you have to talk to people uh, that you might not actually understand. You know, I, I worked for financial company once, I, I'm like, or agriculture company. I, I, I can't natively relate to that. So it takes some time and effort to actually truly understand what it is that we're trying to model. So let's just like, truly, it's not easy. Yeah, I think it's it's about soft skills for team once in the end, right? Yes. Yeah, when I first got into Data Vault, I actually took my entire team, it was a data warehouse team, but we took the, the project manager, the DBA, the report writer, the business analyst, and the ETL developer. We all went to the Data Vault training together so we could communicate on that. So it's not to say even that, you know, everybody on the team doesn't have to be a data modeler, but they, they need to understand the concepts, right? Uh, because it, it is a team. Yeah, and again, we're getting, like you said, we're decentralizing, but the skill and the understanding has to be there if we're going to not build data silos is somebody has to have that higher level architectural view, uh, preferably somebody on the team. So it's not, we don't want to get into, uh, you know, these endless review cycles where I was worked someplace at one point where we had a technical architecture review committee and everything had to go to them to get approved. And okay, if you had three different teams, then that committee was the one that went, oh, wait a minute, they're doing, they're replicating work over there that this team is doing there. And they're the only ones that knew it all. And again, what did that create? A bottleneck. It was a centralized bottleneck. Um, and I think the only way around that is you have to have people that uh, understand how to do these things on the team. And that does mean on the people side, yeah, you have to invest in some skills and you have to invest in some development. Uh, you may have to get some outside coaching for the teams until they kind of get up to speed or you have like a, like a Roche has done where they've got a, a central team that their, their, their role is not doing the work. 
it's empowering the domain teams to do the work, right? And it becomes, uh, you know, kind of the support center, right? Oh, we're, we're, we're having a problem figuring out how to design this part of our data product. Do you have somebody that can come help us and, and coach us a little bit about that? And that gets back to the culture of the organization. Now, I just finished uh, interviewing um, Miguel Morgado from OneWeb, who's they're doing data mesh on Snowflake with an automated data ops thing. And he said that was the that was the biggest thing is the culture. It's getting everybody around the same page of understanding what data mesh means, what our goals are from a business perspective, and agreeing to operate in that manner that you know we're not going to build data silos, right? That we're we're going to uh, facilitate building a, a mesh, which by definition means that it's interoperable, that we can have data products in whatever form that others in the organization can consume. So again, we're back to the communication. We're back to the people. Yeah, back to data culture, right? Data literacy, we're, we're back to. It's, it's the people process kind of situation, not necessarily tools, right? A tool right, is exactly. not going to solve it for us. Yeah. Totally. Even as a representative of a tool company, I fully agree. But, but yeah. yeah, yeah, no. I, I had a friend years ago that, that said it this way: "A fool with a tool is still a fool." <laughs> yeah, fully agree. Yeah, I, I think uh, the culture issue is an interesting one, uh, and it also has to do like like with the, the whole setup is a culture thing, really. And uh, Zamak calls it the social technological framework and whatnot for a reason, I think. But uh, especially with data modeling as kind of a well profession or competence or something like that, uh, I, I think the the kind of perhaps old-fashioned way you still occasionally see here and there that you have an enterprise architect somewhere in an ivory tower and they are creating their own fancy data models which no one else ever sees it's kind of something that you know that that doesn't work anymore you can't do that and of course that's completely incompatible with the mesh thing i think and you said it well that that the kind of centralized team that coaches and helps people to figure this out so that you can have those uh, experts in the domains or at least people with enough understanding that they can deal with their own uh, own domains models and then you can have someone from the centralized team helping them, helping them out is completely different setup from that kind of uh, top-down led uh, ea uh, thing that you still see unfortunately see here and there <laughs> yeah yeah we're trying to get away from the you feed us the requirements go away we'll 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 put our modeling hats on and we'll do this big enterprise model and we'll let you know when we're done and and then double check with you to make sure we got it right now that's that's what we're trying to get if away you, from if you ask anybody who worked with me like engineers i'm like yeah i'm sorry you have to go to talk to the business people you have to draw that kind of like semantic diagram you actually also have to do that bottom up i think there's in i mean it's it's honestly like unicorns i i want to hire unicorns but the reality is like it, it's 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 difficult it requires a set of like different skills but I think if you're truly on the ground and doing it, you'll, you'll have appreciation, you'll understand the impact. Because when somebody is drawing something and somebody else is like, there's a lot of layers of, to, to me, it's like a broken phone. Like I tell you the word and by the time it gets to the fifth person, it's a completely different word. So I was like, no, we, we, ha we, we have to be able to do everything to, to truly kind of deliver the best products. Right. Yeah. Um... One one important aspect in this whole thing is the feedback loop, and we have to talk about that as well. So so uh, 
we are not doing top-down model everything, get everything right at once thing. We're also not doing silos where, where you know, um, some DBA somewhere decides what the model is going to be and then everyone lives with that. So, so uh, ensuring that the feedback from the users of those data products that we create and the other domains and the people inside our domain, how does that build into the data modeling work and the kind of process around data models? Opinions, thoughts? We're just being polite and letting each other. Uh, Kenta, you're muted. Uh, well, Data Vault has a feedback loop, but I, I'll go towards agile, right? Like agility of it. You deliver small increments fast, and then you involve your business users in testing it. I, I always keep, keep keep like, this is a struggle. We want perfection. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I want perfection, but you'll never get it perfect by yourself. The sooner you get it out, the sooner you get more eyes on it, the sooner you get feedback on your model and it's very iterative just 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 get it out fast small increments also means that you don't fail massively right like oh you 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 know made a mistake somewhere and and honestly our businesses change our companies change our our, our thoughts change like it's okay it'll never be final or perfect right it's it's continuously iterative process yeah and i think there's a you know from the government space long ago they had a a thing called total quality management, TQM. And that's actually been incorporated into the data vault methodology itself. And that's that's your feedback loop. You know, in, in Agile, you do retrospectives at the end of every sprint, right? And then you figure out what, what went right, what went wrong, what do we need to do different? So you've got multiple levels in the process. How did, how did we go about doing it? Can we improve on that? But, you know, the model, like uh, Veronica was just saying, is like, do, did we get the data right? Is this what you expect to see from the data? And all of that is part of this retrospective and this feedback loop that's part of the methodology. And that's why it's important to have, you know, agreed upon methodology as well, whether it's whether it's Scrum or Kanban or some hybrid uh, Scrum bond. We, one, one place called it at one point. Um, various methodologies or, you know, using following the data vault methodology itself. You have to have that, right? Uh, in my world, in, in doing uh, data vaults in particular, when I started doing those about you know a couple of decades ago now, one of the things that I, I found valuable was you know onboarding the data quickly, which everybody gets today, right? They get the you know we're in an ELT mode. We're we're no longer into ETL. We're going to bring the raw data in. You know, we talk about that. That's a data pipeline. That's what our data engineers do. We're going to, you know, get that raw data in. And I was always trying to figure out how can I get that data, the raw data, exposed to the business sooner rather than later. And in depending on the technology you're using, you know, putting views on it and, and extract it to an Excel spreadsheet. I did that one place where we dumped it to do an Excel spreadsheet. As soon as the data was loaded and we had the business was then looking at the source system and going, yes, this is the data we expected or no, it's not. Because sometimes the extract program wasn't right. You know, all the way back there, it's like, and like you said, Veronica, it's, it's fail fast. That's one of those little agile phrases is how quickly can we have somebody looking at it and keep that feedback loop very, very tight so that further down the line, we don't go, oh, man, we missed this. And then it costs a lot more to go all the way back. If your extract process had a problem and you're all the way down delivering a data product, 
that's a lot of rework, right? Potentially a lot of, or at least a delay. Maybe it's just a little work to fix the pipeline all the way down because it was back here. But you, you got to regression test everything then anyway, right? You've changed something here. And now you have to regression test everything. So it's going to take a lot longer. Rather, if you find it closer to the beginning of the project or where the error is really happening by having a closed feedback loop, you, you save a lot of time and money and you can be a lot more agile in that regard. And I think that's where like the, the data mesh methodology really like you are already working with business. Just just let them like give them that ownership and like to your point, like we reduce the blast radius if we like our mistakes are small. And it's like for, for me, like that's comfort level. Because I, I don't stress over it. I'm like, okay, I made a mistake. It's not a big deal. I can fix it. We caught it fast versus we caught it six months from now when, you know, financial numbers were wrong, right? Like you, you don't want to be there. Uh, you kind of want to quickly fix it. Yeah, yeah I, I think one, one thing I want to mention about feedback loops is that um, I find it extremely useful to have the feedback loop already happening when I'm still modeling. And, and that's, you know, it's all about talking with the business, right? And uh, before anyone has even coded anything, I can get feedback. I, I can show the model, say, you know, okay, so customer has one or many more accounts. And they say, no, 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 just one account. That's, you know, can't have money. And, and I, I can already fix it there before anyone's done anything. So it's only my fancy diagram that I'm fixing at that point. And I think that's the shortest feedback loop you can possibly get, right? So, uh so yeah, but, and, and, but yeah. also another story I love is like, don't show up to meetings unprepared. Like when you're just having this first conversation with business, draw something. You'll be surprised how quickly people will point out how wrong you are. But but like the goal is <laughs> that you walk out of that meeting and you're right, right? Like I, I keep telling like, just it doesn't. You don't have to know this. You don't have to understand it. Just prepare something, because when you leave that meeting, you will know what the right thing is. So, and it's like, that's like that fast feedback loop. People will be more than happy to tell you every, every way your diagram is wrong. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, I use that uh, technique with uh, when I was working at HP, I would just tell them, hey, I'm, I'm just the, the, the guy, the dumb guy from IT. You tell me what this means. You know, I took my best guess. Don't feel bad about telling me it's wrong. Just go ahead and, and tell me tell me where I got it wrong and tell me where I got it right. And uh, that worked great. Because people, like you said, people are always willing to tell you when they know more than you do. I always use the example. Uh, originally, I think this comes from, uh, this is a story by Alex Sharp. I'm not going to tell you the whole story here, but but he always said uh, that uh, you, you need to ask the, the stupid question of, of, you know, what do you mean by this thing? And uh, one example he used was something relating to uh, railways. And, and he was in a big meeting room and he asked, okay, sorry, guys, but, you know, what, what do you mean by a train? And that's a question that you can ask as a data modeler because you're, you know, you're supposed to be the guy who doesn't know anything about the business. But uh, surprisingly, every single person in that meeting room gave a different answer. So again, you're getting the feedback loop uh, in right place by basically being stupid enough to ask the questions that that people don't uh, don't know to ask themselves. We make a lot of stuff. And you want to talk about customers. You will never, <laughs> don't don't show up and ask, what is a customer? That'll be a very, very long meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Making the implicit explicit uh, was a comment from Scott. I fully agree. That's the thing. What do you mean by thing? Yeah. 
Excellent. Um, I think it's it's about time to start wrapping up a little bit. Um, this has been very, very interesting. I think um, we're all in very much agreement here. Not too much uh, of a fight or anything. Um, I think the, the core thing is that um, kind of... Um, the decentralized nature of the mesh is is really just an at least this is how I hear it, but that correct me if you think differently. I think it's kind of an extra force really forcing us to do modeling better than we perhaps have used to do it, and forcing us to put more emphasis on the kind of communication aspect of it really, and, and talking to our own business guys, but also talking with the other domains and so on. So this is all uh, I think. Uh, something that uh, enforces us to do even better modeling that we have been used to and uh, to have a modeling method that you know is is somehow governed uh, some something that we all have in common we have our rules ways of working and so on set up around data modeling and it's also something that has to exist in all those different domains so quite um, at least to a some degree uh, quite uh, demanding even possibly and uh, this, I think, is really perhaps a little bit different from, from what you kind of hear around there, but data modeling is perhaps not kind of a first-class citizen in the mesh. But, but uh, I think what we've talked about here today, this sounds like it's super important, right? For data mesh to succeed, right, you have to have a little bit of rigor. You have to have a commonly, you have to be able to speak the same language, right? And that's what the data model ultimately is. Yeah, and I think to you know to answer the the explicit question of do you need to do data modeling if you're doing data mesh? Yes, absolutely. Yes. You need to be doing data modeling at some level, and as Veronica said, use your words. Or if you're not doing data mesh, you still need to do data modeling. <laughs> There's no escape. <laughs> There's no escape. Yes, it's it, 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 yeah. The history, you know, the last. 20 years in the industry when we've tried to get away from data modeling, it always comes back because when you look at the the challenges people have with understanding their data and getting value from their data, fundamentally, it comes down to them not understanding the data and data modeling is our way of, of communicating the meaning of the data and understanding the data and making sure that everybody across all the domains can easily understand each other's data is we, you need a data model to do that precisely it's it's about the communication it's about shared understanding it's about making that understanding visible and and accessible to all that's really what it is about and uh it, it happens on all different levels, as we've discussed here. You have that uh, general idea of what the enterprise kind of looks like from a data point of view, how the domains are interconnected. You have your uh, domain and product-specific decisions of how exactly are you going to to um, structure your data for a particular use case, maybe. But these are all kind of interconnected. They're all part of the uh, overall drive to have your data actually documented and modeled and, and thus kind of uh, usable. In, in the first place. Thank you. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. I guess, Kent, how do we find you? I think you've been busier than ever. I see you everywhere. Well, clearly I follow you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can uh, find me online. The best way to is to uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you're watching and listening to this podcast, you know, 
send me a connection request and say, hey, I, I heard you on the Data Mesh podcast talking about data modeling. And then I, I do have my blog, which I, I do occasionally post some things on at uh, kentgraziano.com. And then you can also follow me on Twitter. Wonderful. How about you, Veronica? I am mostly hanging out on LinkedIn, so please do connect. I'm always happy to connect. And I'm part of various Slack communities, so you can find me on DBT, Locally Optimistic. There's a new Data Camp Slack community as well. Um, so yes, feel free to reach out. Always happy to connect. Oh, and don't forget the Data Vault user group. And the Data Vault user group. And I also, oh, a plug, yes. And I uh, run Snowflake Data Vault user group. So please follow me. You'll get hopefully great updates. I, I try to share as much knowledge as I can. And then there's datavaultalliance.com, which is the new home for everything related to datavault 2.0. So if anything we've said about datavault is interesting to you and you want to follow up more on that, go to datavaultalliance.com. Excellent. Very good uh, guidance there. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn if, if you'd like to connect. And uh, you can find also all sorts of blog, blogs, posts, and uh, videos and whatnot on le.ai. So uh, do track me as well. Uh, at this point, I think it's time for us to uh, close this. Thank you again. It's been super great. I hope we can do this again sometime. Uh, thank you, Scott. Thank, thank you, Melissa, for uh, helping us uh, set this up in, in practical ways for all the logistics. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'd again like to thank our panel participants today. Our wonderful facilitator was Juha Corpella, who's the Chief Product Officer at LE Technologies, Veronica Durgan, who's the Head of Data at SACS, and Kent Graziano, aka the Data Warrior, and he's the former Chief uh, Technical Evangelist at Snowflake. You can find contact links, blog links, and much more in the show notes. All of them are extremely online. So if you want to follow up, they should be easy to find. And there's a lot of good links in the show notes. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I, I swear, they give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show. Almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com, for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music.